I see you, yeah you, flipping through all the podcasts, looking for something different. Tired of those with all the catchy phrases, a one-size-fits-all quick fix schemes that never seem to fit. My name is Anthony Hart, and if you are like me, you want more than a moment. We are looking for a movement of groundbreakers and world changers who are tired of the status quo, willing to throw it all up to see what sticks, willing to ask a question before pointing a finger. This is your invitation into a collection of thoughtful ponderings posed to make you think, one-on-one conversations that challenge you with fresh perspective, and roundtable discussions where sparks fly as iron sharpens iron. Intrigued? Pull up a seat. We've been waiting for you. But don't get comfortable. You might be up next. In the Red is now in session. Let's go. Now, we've been on this se- or this series called uh, Altered Living and really the power of what an altar represents. Um, how many of y'all en- enjoyed this? It's helped you in any way? I know it's helped me every week as just the challenge to continue to see because I think we have to be presented with the, the concept of an altar because what we don't understand is we do have altars in our life. And we just haven't put those titles or names on. We haven't called them that. But when we look at what we spend time, energy, resources, we are worshiping something. Sometimes it's our time we're worshiping. We're very guarded around that. I, my time is valuable. As we just talked about, our hallelujah may not be that valuable. It is valuable because it, it is a tied to what you worship. You're hallelujahing something. If there's... Uh, pain, anxiety, fear, and something takes that away even for a small amount of time, and you continue to seek out that, guess what? There's, there's some worship in that. Why? Because it gives you reprieve. And that's why God wants to come in and connect with us in those areas. Um, you know, it's not an all or nothing. He'd love for it to be. I truly believe this. Uh, I think we teach this hard sometimes is he wants everything. He does want everything. We, we use scripture like the Bible says, if you're lukewarm, he'll what? Spit you out of his mouth, right? But he understands when you don't know him. He was saying that to a group of people who should have known him. The invitation is for those of us who don't know him. He wants us to continue to get closer and walk closer and be with him more so we can trust him more and more. Because when he meets you in those places, you don't want to be lukewarm anymore. You continue to turn the hot up, right? And it's sometimes it's cold. You don't turn the the shower water all the way to the hot, right? Because you hop in, it's like, ah! But how many of y'all get it and warm, but gradually you turn it up a little bit? Or maybe just like me, I go all the way hot. But it's the same way in our walk with Jesus. Like we get in, we're like, okay, I've been cold. I don't like this, so I'll take a little bit of Jesus. Ooh, that feels good. It's not the place to get satisfied, though. Go in a little bit deeper. If you think about it from the ocean, right? When you just put your feet in, you get you got the waves crashing against you, but how much control do you have? In that moment, just your feet in. How much control do you have? All the control, right? Ain't affecting me. But as you go in deeper and deeper, slowly you begin to lose control. And that's a scary place for us. We've controlled this thing for a long time. And we do not want to think that maybe we were part of the problem. It's everybody else's fault. You don't know what she did to me. You don't know what my parents did to me or what they didn't do for me. You don't know. I'm this way because of everybody else. That is the hardest statement to undo. But that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to present you with a better version of yourself. He wants to show the mirror of what it really looks like. To see through the harsh exterior of what's on the outside. So as we get into I just want to do this like a a reflection. You know, we've talked about this in the past when we do these sermon series. I want a moment where we can all just kind of talk about this. Uh, it's not just pastor here speaking and preaching, and, but I want to open the door as we go through today. I really want to open the door for you to have testimony time if, if there's anything that connects with you. I have notes, and I will preach, but I really want this to connect over this sermon series. If you have questions, uh, I encourage you, every time we do a sermon series, every time I preach, if there's a question that you have and something I say, do not just walk away and say, well, he said it. It's got to be true. I don't understand it. That should open a door for you to have a conversation, either with somebody in the church or with me. Or if we do these sermon series, I'm always going to do a reflection moment so you can ask those questions. Because I guarantee if you have it, 
Somebody else has it. I remember sitting in church as a kid growing up. My dad was a pastor. He would say some things. I'm like, yeah, I believe that. You get older, and I'm like, I don't know if I believe that. I never, it never revealed to me. He just said it, so I believe it. We said that in church. I, he said it, I believe it, and it's so. Well, if he is Jesus, then that's good. If he is your pastor, that may not be good. It could all go over the place. So as we talk today, I want to kind of give you this jumping off point to kind of sum up what I believe this series of altered living is. So we see in the Old Testament, an altar was a place of what? Sacrifice. So sacrifice meant death, right? It was effectively booting the sins off until the next year, kicking it off to the next sacrifice, just one sacrifice after another. The altar was the place where that happened. And I think we can carry that mindset over to our Christian living today as we see it, well, I'll just go back to the altar and repent for this and repent for that. And we take moments like Paul saying, uh, I die daily. And I think this is where we get stuck in a mindset of like, well, this is just who we are. I'm sinful in nature and I'm just going to sin and get over it. But you know what? When something dies, it's done. And if we look at the way God restores life, he didn't restore Jesus in the same broken body that he died in. There was a restoration of a new life. The promise is if we give our life to Christ, when this body dies, we'll get a new body, right? We're going to heaven. We'll get the new life. So the altar, which is the cross now, Jesus represents the sacrifice that was done. Now in the New Testament, our commitment to Christ is we see a transition from death to life. So what died doesn't come back to life. Why? Because he asked us to die to our flesh. Our flesh is tied to our sin. It's us prior to Christ, if you will. It is what we knew, what we did, what was done to us, all the things. This is what our physical body represents. So when we meet him, now from the inside out, he begins to shift our mindset and change, alter us, right? Think about this from an alteration standpoint. How many of y'all want to lose some inches on your pants right that right now? Anybody? Yeah. It's July. Why didn't we do this in January? I'm just kidding. Every one of us want to lose some inches, right? You know what? You can't alter your pants until you alter something on the inside. You're not just going to lose inches. Well, I want to alter my pants. I'm going to do it. Guess what? They ain't going to fit any better. You want to alter them the wrong way. What has to happen in your alteration? First, you've got to understand a need to be altered a lifestyle that needs to be altered, a diet that needs to be altered, a workout that needs to be altered, whatever it is. And then from the inside, usually it's right here, your heart, ugh, I need to lose some weight. Right here. But as this begins to shift and change you, you begin to, I need to do something. I need to go to the gym. I need to eat better. I need to do these things. And guess what happens? As you change that, it changes your lifestyle, and suddenly you have to alter your pants. This is what I believe Paul was talking about, I die daily. He wasn't dying daily to the same thing. If, he, if it died, God was not going to restore his sin and bring it back to life. If it died and you put it on the cross and you left it there, guess what? You're just dying to something new every day. You're dying to something that you didn't know that you needed to die to. But because you trusted me with the one thing and you left it there, now the Holy Spirit, which leads you into all understanding, opens your mind for you to realize, oh, I need to lay that down too. So then our life becomes a series of laying down moments, sacrifice moments, not sacrificing the same animal every year, but trusting him as we do that, we're coming alive more in him and growing in him. So I want to share this thought with you and then we'll get into uh, what we're talking about. Acts 17, 24 to 27, I want to read this scripture again. We've read it every week. I know you should know it by now, but if you're new and you haven't heard it, I want you to hear these words because I believe this is the beautiful invitation to knowing God. And you're like, well, I don't know God or I know what somebody told me about God, but I don't necessarily know God. And it says this, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, 
We have these beautiful buildings and churches, but guess what? He does not live in here, nor is he served by human hands. In other words, he doesn't need us as though he needed anything. God needs me. Oh, he would love for you to be a part of it, but he don't need you. Since breath, or excuse me, since he himself gives to all mankind, say he give it to me. Come on, y'all get it. He gives it to me. Come on. Mankind, life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. This is the strength of this verse, that they should seek God. It's in our nature. We're all seeking something, right? Whether you know it or not, we are spending our days seeking something. When you were a young kid, you were looking for love, right? Oh, looking for love in all the wrong places. That's right. We don't understand that until we meet God. I found love in the wrong place. I'm not saying she's the wrong place, but the place we were in. That they should seek God. You're going to seek God. You're looking for something. I've heard it put this way. There's a God-shaped hole in every one of us. That's where sin has crept in. That's the missing piece. The Bible says you can't serve two masters. Darkness is the absence of light. So when you encounter light, it begins to remove the darkness. But you got to seek it first. I think this is the problem we find, and this is preached sometimes, that God's running after you. If that was true, then you really wouldn't have to repent. He's going to come to you, and he's going to make... And we use the prodigal son story that the father ran to the son. And that is true. But what happened for the son... For the father to run to him. He had to turn. He had to commit. He had to run away from his sinful place, the place where he had committed his life to. He had to realize, I've got to go back. I've got to go to the father. That desire that had chased everything, money, fame, job, success, all the things ended up in a pig pen. And he realized, you know what? None of this will solve what I'm actually searching for. I'll go back and just be a servant in my dad's house. That's when the father ran to him and when he saw him. That's the, that's the hallelujah this morning. When you're walking back and you got nothing in your pockets, I have nothing left fit for a king. And he's like, I don't need anything in your pockets. I just need your steps towards me. That's the beauty of the altar moment is you come with nothing. You come with brokenness. Many of us come with mistakes that has caused repercussions in our life. And in that moment, we're like, I don't know why you want me. And he's like, but I do. I love you. I cherish you. Not what you've done and what you've become, who I made you to be. So I believe this, coming out of the scripture, that you should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. This is such a promise that he is right here with us. And I wrote this in my notes, and it is this. An altar is a place of groundbreaking. An altar is a place of groundbreaking. So right now, when you think about it, if you're building a building, you've got to break ground before you can build, right? But I want to talk to it from a perspective of uh, sowing, of planting a garden. Before you ever plant a garden, what's the first thing you have to do before you put that seed in the ground? You got to till the ground. You got to till it up. You got to get it open, right? Because if that ground's hard and you throw a seed on it, guess what's going to happen? Ain't nothing. We see it all the time in golf courses. They'll aerate a little bit and so get it down, the seed down. If you do it in your yard, you, you rent one of those things from Home Depot. They aerate your yard so you can drop the seed and it gets in the dirt. This is the hard part about our first connection with God is we're seeking something, but we're only seeking a surface connection. But he's okay with that. He's like, I'm okay with the surface moment. I'm, I'm okay with that in the beginning. But if you really want to know me and you want to connect with me, it's going to require some tilling in your life. Because if you look at it this way, the seed is the word of God, the Bible, right? And the seed in hard ground is not going to grow that much. But if you take the seed plus fertilizer, what is fertilizer? The dying to ourself. The things in our life that were good, that are really not good, as those begin to die, dead things provide fertilizer, right? 
And that also, that tilling, that fertilizer, that dying to self is where their ground begins to be tilled up. So then we take the seed, this shift in our life, because that's what an altar moment really is. God, I'm letting you access my life. And I'm, I know it's going to be tough. I'm going to have to let you beat me up in Samaria. Every one of these, uh, if you look at Moses, if you look at Abraham and Gideon, every one of those were in a moment where they just had to trust God and not what they knew. That's the transition from hard to tilled soil. As you allow him to begin to work in you, as you trust him in another area. That's the purpose of finding out who he is, the very nature of God, right? We said provider, banner, um, shalom. All three of those, as they got to know Christ more, then they were open to receive, or knowing God more. They were receiving that. And this is where in our life, in that altar moment, fruit of the Spirit can grow. The Word, without fertilizer or the dying to self, the dead things in our life, to fertilize that, and the tilled soil is just the Word. But it's the moment it impacts our life. We die to self that connection begins to birth the fruit of the Spirit in us. Why? Fruit of the Spirit is from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, repent and be baptized, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? So repentance is that toiling, that tilling, excuse me, of our soul. It's the shaking up of what we know. It's the letting go of what we have. It's the dying to self in those moments, one thing at a time, which prepares us for the fruit of the Spirit to grow. And the fruit of the Spirit, as we saw in those three examples over the last couple of weeks, is a revelation of the nature of God. And why do we need to know the nature of God? Because you've been made in His image. You've been called to carry this, so as He gives it to you, as you taste the fruit, you realize, oh my goodness, there's a whole lot of other people, especially the people in the car line for the school that need patience like I have. Or... Maybe I don't have the patience I thought I had, right? I learned that lesson every day, every day. Patience, ooh, I need more. But I don't pray for it. We talked about that. So where we're at right now, I want to open this up. If there's anybody that just has kind of a thought in this mindset of where we're at, anybody has a question on what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, or maybe a testimony of maybe how this has impacted you. I want this to be a, a community moment. Or we just sit here and stare at each other. Like I said, I have I have notes. So you got to use a mic because there's people on the camera that need to hear your lovely voice. Oh, the awkward part, right? It's red. Okay. Um, can you hear me? Okay. Uh, one of the things it's Keith. Let everybody know your name too. Oh, Michelle. Um, my name's Michelle. Hi. Uh, one of the things this series has taught me is peace. It's being able to let go um, and just trust him with peace. Like, there's things that, um, I, and it says it a lot everywhere in the Bible. And it's also a word that he's been telling me a lot that I've claimed it as my word. It's rest, and with rest comes peace. Rest in him, then you have peace that crazy piece that nothing else in this world can get. And it's taking years, it's taking moments, it's taking hard spots, you know, being completely alone, or you know, how everybody says, reaching bottom to have those moments and peace in that he is peace. And uh, how the songs, they repeated over and over, how the... Um, what you've been teaching, like every time I come, it's 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 that peace and rest in Him and just trust in Him. It's crazy how I can trust so many things. I can trust my car that's gonna get me to point A and B, no problem. Yet, why do I have such a hard time to trust Him with my life? And I find that sometimes like upset on myself how ridiculous that can be. I can trust the material thing, yet I cannot trust him when he's the creator of everything he has and I look at my past and I'm like he's gotten me through other things why is it so hard to let go and I think to me from what I'm understanding that you're teaching is that 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 um dying every day like every morning I have to 
make that conscious effort that not listening to my flesh, not listening to my dad, and just trust him and have that peace in him. And it's been, I think, hard. But once I do give those steps, it's like you said, the waves, like then, all right, I'm just going to let you take it. And it just, it works out. It works out no matter how hard times are, how everything that's going through with family, with uh, work, with unknowns, it's okay. And I feel okay. You know, we talked about this a little bit before church was that rest bringing peace. And we're good at resting this, right? The thing we can control, like we get rest. But then how many of you, and I'm going to talk to you women for a minute because I know my wife this way. You can get this to rest, but this doesn't stop. There is zero rest internally. Like you can, she spends 30 minutes going to sleep and I'm like one minute. Because once I get this still, I'm out. You ladies are not wired that way. So the thing you can control, you can put to rest, but it's the things you can't control that continue to challenge your rest. That's where your peace gets stuck. We, by nature, want to control things. How many control freaks I got in the room? It's okay. There's grace. It is sufficient. I'm, so I'm a control freak about things I can control. I'm not about things I can't. How many of you get on a plane and you're just like the crazy amount of shalom and peace? See there? Rob, same way. Raise his hand for both of those. I'm the same way. I get on a plane. I have zero control. Jesus, take the wheel. I could be dying in 15 minutes. I got no control over it. I can't control it. I don't know how to fly this thing. I'm putting all my trust in this dude that's been to school for this and hopefully has flown more than once or twice. Some of those times I've questioned it. But in our life, in our things, this is where the Bible challenges our understanding. Lean not on your own understanding. Why? Because that's going to be your control limiter. That's where you're going to try to do it under what you know, what you feel, what you understand, which will always challenge you. And that's where that, that shalom or that peace is going to be missing. But it's, it's like we talk about with working out. January is like the highest number for people going to the gym, right? The first week of the year. Man, everybody's in there. All you gym rats, ooh, despise the first week of the year. But you know, wait it out. Second week, dwindle. If you can make it to February, I get all my weightlifting equipment back when I want it. See ya. Because nobody sticks. Why? Because they don't create habits. It takes intentional moments of doing things early, often, even though it's not comfortable we don't do this in this. We come in, we say a prayer, and we go right back to the lives we've led. We don't get intentional about, you know what? I got to wake every morning, and I got to read my Bible. Oh, I don't want to read my Bible. I got to get time out of the day where I say a prayer, or at least spend time with God. Oh, I got other things to do. Well, I'll just wait till next Sunday because the pastor will do it, and Pastor Morgan will sing some good songs, and I'll, feel, I'll walk out there feeling good. I'll be filled up. No, you won't. It's kind of just on your outside. You got a glass that is covered in stuff, but there's nothing on the inside of it. Guess what? That's probably dried up by the time you get to the car. Because it's those daily habits that begin to build. It's the going to the gym when it's hard. I'm in the state right now. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not having been working out. And I got to just go. Every morning I get up, I'm like, I'm going to do it. I told Morgan last week, I'm going to get up early and I'm going to do it. Guess what I didn't do? I made excuse after excuse of why I didn't get up. You know what? Because I just opened up to you tomorrow morning. I'm getting up early and I'm going to work out. This is what happens in church. This is what should be happening. It's not happening because we don't invite community and accountability in because we know the moment that we do, then we got to get uncomfortable. How many of you next week is going to ask me if I worked out this week? Every one of you. And I'm going to have to sit here and like, no, I didn't work out. No, I'm going to tell you next week I did. At least three days this week, if not four. I got to start somewhere. But that's what the church brings. That's what we, as we begin to seek after Christ, not each other, not our own personal flesh, we realize that we can help one another on this journey walk this thing out. As we understand, because God's going to be different to you, not different, but a different 
perspective. Why? Because the things you've gone through, the places you've connected to God, are going to challenge me because I've never been. Rick, I've never battled cancer. I, my, my dad has, and I've seen it through you now, but I have that aspect. That's a battle I didn't have to fight, and good Lord, I don't have to, but I've seen the journey and the walk through your eyes. And it has empowered me to know that that God can walk through some stuff like that with you. I've seen people healed. I've never had anything in my body where I had to be personally healed from. But you know what? I know God is healer because the people who walked through it and gave a testimony, I can attest to that. I can tell you today that God is provider. I know there's moments in our life where financially I'm like, okay, God, I know where this is coming from, and he stepped in. I hope you never have to go to those moments that you don't have control and you don't know where it's coming from. But he will do that in the areas you need to grow in. In the areas you need to trust in, the areas you feel like you can control, that's where he's going to get you to that place. Like, I'm not doing this. I'm not knocking you down to the lowest of lows. This is another struggle that we have. We want to make God out to this God that just wants to constantly put us on our knees and beat us up until into submission. That's not him. It's us. We're doing the things, and he's like, okay, keep doing it. I'm going to be there. And I'm going to show you rest. But if you just lean in and trust me right now, we never have to get to the bottom. But you keep doing it under your own abilities, your own understanding. This is where we end up. Anybody else? Um, my name is Mary Ann. Uh, so this last month has been really tough for me. But um, God has been my provider and shalom. Um, I had a good friend whose husband killed himself, and I was the rock for her, so um, for her to deal with everything that happened from the night with the police there to um, everything, going to uh, the funeral home and everything, and without God, I couldn't have done it. Without him providing, um, Peace in me knowing that uh, if something like that, if I die, I know where I'm going and I have no qualms about that for the next step in my life. The fact that I have a strong husband that was lifting me up and letting me know that because I had God in me, I could help her out. Friends that checked on me every day to make sure I wasn't going down the rabbit hole of depression um, because of what was what I was trying to help somebody else out with. Without all of that, um, I couldn't. I I wouldn't be here right now because depression would have taken over and I'd have just let it eat me away. But because God is my provider, He's my shalom. He is my everything. Um, that's why. And I'm just it, like this whole series just helped me to keep going for her. And I, that's the hard part for us all to understand is it's not for us. When we first come in, we want to be served. I need, I need, I need. But the transition has to be if I've received access to it, then I have access. It's, I'm not in a place of need anymore because it's available. I can give now. See, this is a transition for Christians. Like when you come in and give your heart to God, if you come in every Sunday and you're in need, there's a problem with that. And you got to begin to look inward and say, why? Well, I, I do stuff all week long and I don't want to serve anybody. I just, I'm tired, I'm empty. Then you're in a place where you're not getting filled daily. This is your only filling station. And there's only so much we can put in your tank if you come into this. If everybody comes in here needy, you're not going to get a full tank walking out of here. You're going to get enough to make it to the next point. And then you're running on empty the whole week, and God's like, I'm here. Gas station's with you. Like, if you would just tap in, spend the time with me, I got what you need when you need it. Going back to what we said this whole year, seek and you will find. It's available to you. But then you come in with this whole concept like when you're getting filled daily, when you're spending that time, when you're letting go, when that fruit begins to grow in you, you're coming in, the, in here. And if you see somebody struggling like a Marianne, you're like, man, how can I serve her today? 
hospitality. She is always serving everybody. But in this moment, just a few weeks ago, when we had the, the worship night, she come in and you could just tell it. She was in the midst of that struggle. And Morgan goes to her and is like, I don't want you to serve anybody. You need to be served tonight. Because she could see it. Now, if every one of us come in needy, guess what? We're not going to see anybody else's need. I'm coming in to get mine. I hope the pastor prepared a sermon. I hope the hospitality team's got a hug because I need it. I ain't got a hug all week. Nobody loves me. I better get a hug at the door. Guess what? If everybody was that way, they get to the door, Sandy's not there today because she's needing to hug. And she can't hug. And they come in, and there ain't no coffee and tea out there. There ain't no snacks out there because Jenny didn't feel it. She needed somebody to serve her. And now they're walking in the door, and somebody's there to hold the door for them. They walk in here. They sit next to a, maybe a spouse that struggle. Pastor had a tough week, so he didn't even prepare anything. Worship's a mess because they didn't even prepare for it because they didn't have time to do all the things. Guess what service going to look like then? Yep, just like that. And we'll all walk out in. But what if we all began to realize, if I'm in a place of need, I know I can come in here because there's somebody here that's got something for me that day. But in that regard, if this place was that for me, if Jesus was that for me, wouldn't I want to be that for somebody else? That's where that fruit, when you taste and see and know that it is good, you want to take that to everybody. God, give me an extra dose. If you, if you go back to the production booth today in the nice Corona light boxes, there is an assortment of vegetables. Why? Because Mark grows a bunch of vegetables, more than he can eat, and he just brings them in. So if you want some vegetables, come get vegetables. Huh? I know. He just loves to grow it and give it away. Guess what? God don't need to eat his fruit either. He wants to just give you all of it. What if we begin to grow our fruit of the Spirit that way? I want to spend so much time in this Word. I want to be in prayer. So when I walk into a place, I'm just like, you get it all. That's when we shift from being needy to realizing we have access. Anybody else? Any thoughts? Hi, everyone. My name is Jalil. I'm 15 years old, and um, this is my start to going to God. And then, just like she said, going down that rabbit hole of depression, I fell down that rabbit hole of depression. And he was like, God was like there for me. And I was praising him during that time. But as soon as I got that rabbit hole of depression, I stopped praising him. And I know I shouldn't do that. And I started going back to my flesh. And going back to my flesh wasn't good for me. But now that I realize I shouldn't be, I shouldn't stop praising him after he did good to me. I should keep praising him and keep going. So now I'm back on this journey because of my sister and her boyfriend right here. These are probably the only two that actually got me to here. And um, I read one of the verses of days before, and it was like, there's people out there that want to be to God, but there's not enough people harvesting them, as in to help them and help them do other things. And these people right here and my sister was the ones to harvest me and bring me up. And that, that's really all I had to say. Yeah. Welcome home. Welcome home. If you don't want to know about a world that's having around 15 years old, anxiety, depression, it ain't an adult affliction. It's happening in our youth. Why? Because it happened in adults. We are harvesting some sort of fruit, whether you like it or not. We are giving fear and anxiety generationally to our kids. Why? Because we have fear and anxiety and everything. That's why it's important. You don't realize this. Now, this is my fear and anxiety. And then you wonder why your kids are so fearful and anxious. It starts right here. The buck stops with me. how we react and respond to it. It's why this is important. This is why this altering moment is important. It's not to make you feel bad. It's to help you prepare for all these moments because our youth need it. Up the ladder too. Our parents need it. How many of you got parents that were fearful and anxious and you carried some of that stuff over that don't know Jesus? You know what? You're the one that not only restores the generation below you, you speak life into the generation above you. 
You become a change agent. Young man, you are going to change lives because of your story. You lean in and trust him. Watch what you do up the chain because you didn't get here by yourself. You have friends that caused this, not caused it, but added into it. You got family that didn't help you in those areas maybe because of their mindsets. As you begin to grow, watch out. Your light's going to walk into places and blow it away. People are going to notice something in you and say, how'd you get there? Let me tell you about this man named Jesus. I don't got it all figured out, but I know I don't have to do it by myself. I mean, we see it all the time. We see marriage and our kids struggling. And we're, God, why don't you heal their marriage? We need to look at our marriage first. Because you can pray for their marriage all you want, but they're looking to your marriage for hope. If there ain't hope in your marriage, what are we demonstrating with our life? We can quote scripture all we want. We can invite them to our church all we want, but they have a front door access to your life. Do they meet Jesus there? That's why we need to be altered. Real today. Lessons I have to learn all the time. I can sit up here on a Sunday and preach all I want, but you know what? More people will see who I am on a Monday through Saturday than they will a Sunday. There's a reason people don't come to church, because they see us Monday through Saturday. I know who you are. I don't need to go see you on Sunday when you got it all together. I've seen your mess. Anybody else? I know y'all just want the hamburgers and hot dogs. Is there any questions over the last couple of weeks? Anything that just kind of stands out? You know, hi Gary. Hey, um, so you preach on, you talk about, you've taught us about Gideon and how God like gives these people in the Bible this all or nothing commission. It'd be like, should we hand you the mic and you say, Gary, you take Greenbrier, Joey, you take Hickory. You know, are we? But you know, the the people that inspired this young man, that's isn't that what we should be doing? I mean. I'm a musician. I play with bands over the years, but one of my favorite musicians, and this just hit me. Are you getting a text while I'm No, talking? I'm, I'm oh, looking okay. up a scripture. I do that to him. I mean, it's okay. But one of my favorite musicians who warms my heart so much, I'm going to embarrass him, is Joey. I mean, I'm looking at this guy just serving God, a good family man. He is, in my opinion the epitome of a cool musician, you know, service and, and example and family man. I mean, he shames me in, in all those ways, but you know, I, I just, uh, I would, this is more of a question to you pastor. So give us, give us something specific that we can start working on. Okay. Say, I am a minister of the gospel. Okay, you just got ordained. I want to read this scripture over you. 2 Timothy 4 and 2. I'm actually going to read 4 and 1. So, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. We use that all the time in pastors, like, oh, Rick, I asked you next week to preach just out of the blue. You better be ready in season and out of season. I think that be prepared in season and out of season means whether you're in the season or out of the season, you're being prepared. In my moments when I was not in this church, I was being prepared for this church. Before I was a parent, I was being prepared to be a parent. In my mind, I wasn't ready to be a parent. But you know what? I was more ready than I knew. Morgan, I can tell you when, she, when we had our first kid, she was like, I don't, I don't know how to be a mom. I don't want to be a mom. But the moment they put that baby in her arms, click. So I want to read this again. Here's where we start. Because I'm going to read on a little bit more. Preach the word. How many of you know the word? 
some amount of the word, not all the word, but you know a scripture, you know some part of the word. If you know some part of the word, raise your hand. You've been called to preach it. What does preach it mean? Well, I guess I got to build a stage or a platform in my workspace, in my family, in my home. I'm going to stand on the table. Jeremy, don't stand on your table. Get on your kitchen table and just start preaching. No. First thing you're going to do is do it with your life. Your life will speak louder than your words ever will. Because if your life doesn't match up with your words, you're preaching something else. So the first thing you begin to do is process this and realize that every moment that you have, you're preaching something. You get to choose, do I preach the gospel or do I preach something else? Now this is not, and this is what we were talking about yesterday in coffee with the men, was we sat at that table and had a conversation about a lot of things. But if you would have sat there for the entirety of that conversation, there is no way you would have walked away thinking, man, I don't know who those dudes are. Because we, it always connects back to Christ. It always connects. There's always a hope in the things we talk about. It just becomes a way of life, how you process and respond to things. Even when you don't process and respond it well, we, how many of y'all have those moments? You're the first one to say, man, I'm sorry. I messed that up. Or at least you'll go back after the fact. Because you know what? You can mess it up in a, in a moment and respond later in a second. I'll give you a perfect example. A couple of weeks ago, um, Morgan and I had, had a conversation about a situation with somebody. And then I talked to that somebody and... Um, they asked me, like, did you talk to Morgan about this? I said no, because I wanted to hear what their response to the conversation that those two had had together. So I said, no, we hadn't talked about it. Something simple, right? Just a simple, ugh. And she told me her response, and I hang up, and the Holy Spirit's like, is that worth lying over? That? Like, she would have told you anyways. I instantly called her back. I was like, I just want to apologize to you. I just, I don't know why I did it. I do know why I did it, because I just want to hear your part of the conversation. But I did talk to Morgan about that. And she goes, huh, thank you. I said, the Holy Spirit was beating me up. That's something simple, right? How many of y'all have ever done that just off the cuff? No? And how many times after? I was like, really? And all it took was, it wouldn't have affected her in any way. It didn't matter to her. It affected me. Because if I can lie something simple about that, just blow up then i got to begin to address everything. And if I'm not willing to call, but in that moment, it, it lets her know first that I'm human, I'm going to make mistakes, but it also lets her know I'm big enough to own up to my mistakes. And if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, he'll get you in those places. He knows you're going to mess up, but he, it's the correction, it's the walking through it that means so much more because that's different than the whole world around us. How many people in this world around us just lie all the time? Don't even think about it. It's a simple little lie. Just do it. It stands out as different. So we begin to preach the gospel with our lives. Be ready season, in and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Guess what? You can't reprove, rebuke, or exhort until you've been reproved, rebuked, and exhorted. We have too many people in the church that want to preach, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, and they have zero access to anybody to do the same to them, even God. Last thing that will die on you is your will. If you look up the definition of your will, your will is your passions, your desires, your wants. That's the last thing that will die. And if you preach your will, your will will be done on earth, but not in heaven. We can't pray that prayer, really. Thy will be done in earth as my will is in heaven? Nope. That's how we begin to change. We begin to seek his will, which is that dying itself. So I, th I think it, it happens first and foremost. We just begin to get in this word. If there's a struggle that we have in the day, then when we get home that night, we're sharing it with somebody who can hold us accountable. Me going to the gym. I just shared that with a group of people and hold me accountable. I didn't have to. I could have held it in. I can continue to tell her, yeah, I don't feel like working out. Not anymore. I got a whole bunch of my best friends to hold me accountable. Accountability is your first step. If you struggled in something to work today, when you get home, you need to do everything you can to not make the same misstep tomorrow. Building those habits. That's how the church begins to change the movement because the world's doing it a whole different way. When we start doing it differently, it stands out as different. Does that help?
Anybody else? I'm going to wrap this thing up. I have a nice bow to put on this. Anybody else? Anybody leave with any question or any thought? Or... Yeah, um, hello, everyone. I'm Ty. Um, so I was just going to say, like, um, Gary asking that question. And um, basically, you've, you've said a lot of things that I was thinking in my head and after he talked and whatever. And I was saying to myself, like, you know, each and every one of us in here, um, we may not know where to start, but there, there might be different things. Even if it's one, two, three, four, or five, whatever it is, there is something that we know in ourselves that we need to work on like even if like we get up every day and we go out and yeah we're we're good people and we're we're nice to others and everything but there's always something that you know we take note of and we're like hmm um i really need to work on that because i find myself doing it over and over and so one of the main things that i would encourage everyone and gary um to and hi to, <laughs> to do is to always pray about these things like always find time to talk to god like even if you're in your car and you're going to work you know you listen to your music and you know gospel or whatever you listen to like positive stuff you know listen to words of encouragement inspirational things and talk to god about these things that are you know, like on your mind and also find time to read the word. Like when I was growing up and um, in Sunday school, we would sing this song, um, read your Bible, pray every day and you grow, grow, grow. So I would encourage everyone to read, <laughs> pray, <laughs> pray. And um, yeah, that's all I had to say. I will say this. You can read a lot, but until you learn to respond, useless. Talk about it a lot. You gotta read your Bible. You gotta spend time in prayer. The power is in your response to it. Every one of us, we could go around this room and I could ask you. What scripture is your life valid? Like going again. But how many of us got it all together right now? I don't see any hands. Okay. Then the power is in our response. If we know there's something we're missing, then we got to start asking the why. And I know we go to the hard sins right off the bat, right? Adam, my notes want a list of a sins a couple spots in the Bible but this is a good one Galatians 5 19 and 21 works of the flesh or sexual immorality and we're gonna we just stop right there that's the one we're gonna point out today just gonna jump all over that oh wait let's keep going impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy fits of anger rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. They just really sum it up with the one last little something along those lines. Those are the works of the enemy, works of the flesh. How many of you struggle with anger today? Right after that, it says the fruit of the Spirit, and it gives you the, the nine fruit of the Spirit. If that's what I need and that's what I want and that's what I'm struggling at, you're not going to the gym this week. Then you need to find somebody that's going to help you hold accountable in those areas. Somebody sees you getting angry? Mm, talk about it. I don't know why I don't trust my wife with going to the gym. Maybe because I can just, yeah, I'll go. But shouldn't I love her enough to, for her to be able to hold me accountable? Because that's the person I could spend the rest of my life with if I'm in shape. See, the ones we struggle with the most are the ones we hold back. We do the same thing with Jesus. What's your response? 
You can't be altered until you respond. Are we truly laying things down and responding to the life that we're called to? That's the invitation of Jesus. Follow me. That requires a response, a continued response. Not just one step in the right direction because you're not following him anymore. You followed him. There's too many people in the church that followed him and just stopped. I'm better than I was. This is good enough. If you're not responsive, you are what? You're in the hospital and you're not responsive. What do they deem you? Father, we thank you for the easy lessons to learn the hard way. God, I pray that we don't grow unresponsive. I pray that we don't get offended by your word because your word is not offensive. Offensive is just merely our posture towards something different. I pray that you would open our heart and challenge us to see a better way. I pray that our methods towards people who don't believe would not be offensive. That we would learn to love people. And realize that our disagreeance is not a lack of love. Father, I pray in the same way in our hearts, in the ways that we've disagreed with you, that we would trust you more. That we would begin to search for the answer, knowing that if you told us to do it, there's got to be an answer why. And knowing your spirit leads us into all understanding. Father, I thank you that you're not done with us. Thankful that you called us for such a time as this to let people know that they're seen and they're heard by a Heavenly Father who created them with purpose that no mistake is too big to overcome in your eyes. Father, we just give you this moment, give you our lives. Challenge us this week to let us see it through a lens and a heart of love as we draw closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go. 